2: You're listening to the main theme song to the 2008 James Bond movie, Quantum of Solace, written by Jack White and performed by Mr. White and Alicia Keys, which can only mean that I have taken on the task of discovering what all the hubbub is about regarding quantum computing and its potential impact to enterprise cybersecurity. Quantum computing is in a class of near-future technologies that, when and if they ever get here, will fundamentally change how we all live our lives, not just in the cybersecurity and tech worlds, but for everybody on the planet. But for as long as I can remember, these technologies have always been just over the horizon, maybe 30 to 50 years away, depending on what expert you listen to. Technologies like artificial general intelligence, AGI, 5G networking autonomous vehicles, and abundant solar energy. And it doesn't seem to matter how many years go by, the tech is always still 30 to 50 years away. But I've noticed this past year or so that a collection of quantum experts have started to cautiously reduce their estimates about when quantum will be ready for the masses. Many are saying that it's likely five to 10 years away. For cybersecurity professionals then, this is the perfect time to do some preliminary planning so that we don't get run over by this world-changing technology when it finally gets here. So, hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. This could get complicated. My name is Rick Howard, and I'm broadcasting from N2K Cyber's secret Sanctum Sanctorum studios located underwater somewhere along the Patapsco River near Baltimore Harbor, Maryland in the good old U.S. of A. And you're listening to CSO Perspectives, my podcast about the ideas, strategies, and technologies that senior security executives wrestle with on a daily basis. Dr. Georgiana Shea is a longtime friend and colleague of mine and a regular here at the CyberWire hash table.
3: My name is Georgiana Shea. I work at the Foundations for Defense of Democracies as the chief technologist for the Transformative Cyber Innovation Lab.
2: And as just a side note on background noise, she lives by a U.S. airbase in Colorado. So periodically you're going to hear jets landing and taking off in the background. But she is also one of those quantum experts I was talking about at the top of the show.
3: I tell people, like, I'm not a quantum expert. I just play one. And I stayed at a holiday and <laughs> select. It's uh, you're just yeah. trying to get into the space and understand the cybersecurity ramifications of it, but not an expert. So don't well, ask I'm, me, like, Shore's algorithm, Grover's algorithm, or the uh, stu- super technical stuff.
2: George is being modest. Just this past year, she co-wrote a paper called Protecting and Securing Data from the Quantum Threat. So I got her on the phone and asked her what the significance of quantum computing was compared to the current model of computing that we use today, something generally referred to as classical computing. In classical computing, the computer processes bits of information, ones and zeros, using transistors and logic gates in a sequential manner. Quantum computing, on the other hand, utilizes qubits or quantum bits that can exist in multiple states simultaneously, thanks to the phenomenons of superposition and entanglement. And I don't even pretend to understand what those two words mean. But George and her co-author, Annie Fixler, referred to a metaphor in their paper that I thought was brilliant.
3: Okay, you're talking about the um, mouse through a maze versus smoke through a maze. Yes. Yeah. So you know your your classical computing is going to be binary ones and zeros, decision gates, yes, no. So it's your mouse going through. Do I take a left? Do I take a right? Uh, dead end. Turn around. So it's very sequential. Whereas quantum, it, it's it's no longer binary. You can have multiple states at one time. So you can go in multiple directions in the maze at one time, sort of like smoke. So the more than likely, I don't want to say every single time, depending on where the uh, the, the the cheese is or the end of the maze, that the smoke is going to beat the mouse because they can go through and explore all possible solutions at one time.
2: If you don't like the mouse in a maze smoke metaphor, here's another one for the Star Trek nerds out there, of which I count myself as one. I got this from my old friend, retired Air Force General Zan vatrino She says that the difference between classical computing and quantum computing is like the difference between how the USS Enterprise fights compared to how the Borg fights. A federation ship leadership team is hierarchical. There are parallel processes, of course, but defensive and offensive actions are kind of sequential. The decision to use shields, deploy defensive positions, use phasers or photon torpedoes is a step-by-step process. The Borg collective functions, by contrast, as a hive mind— Where all Borg drones are interconnected and share thoughts, experiences, and information instantaneously.
0: I am Locutus of
2: Borg. The knowledge and experience of the human. Picard is part of us now. It has prepared us for all possible courses of action. Your resistance is hopeless. Number one.
0: I'm Jonathan France. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at ISC2. Uh, I've been with the organization uh, sort of a year and a half now.
2: I ran into John back at the RSA conference in the spring. He's done quite a lot of research on this quantum computing thing in relation to cybersecurity. And his explanation of things is a bit more grounded compared to General Vatrono's Star Trek metaphor. I still love the comparison to the Borg, but if you're more practical, John is your man. So, John, let's just jump right into this. Um, Maybe we should start with, uh, can you give a layman's uh, explanation of what quantum computing is compared to regular computing? It's a a great
0: question, and uh, I will try is probably the uh, best way I can put it. (laughs) I know. uh, Every
2: time I think I know, I go, oh, that's not really it. So, yeah, give it a shot. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh... So
0: on the one hand, you can put it in the bucket of magic, it makes stuff happen, um, <laughs> but, but if we sort of get under a little bit under the covers of that, um, it's using a few technologies, it's a little bit different from silicon and classic logic gates into something called qubits and something called um, entanglement and uh, superposition in quantum, so quantum mechanics in the realms of maths but expressed in the physical world by some technologies. The important thing is not sort of what it is down at the, at the guts, but how it's different, I suppose, is probably why, where you're really pointing to, which is it can do some pretty amazing calculations um, that, in essence, shortcuts what a classic computer can do. And that's where it's, it's really different. So it can tackle some really complex math, maths questions um, really, really quickly. Um, uh, in the orders of magnitude quicker
2: than classic computers. Well, uh, yeah, you read through analogies of what quantum computing is, and one I heard, and let me see if you agree with this, is that, you know, classic computing that we're doing today, that's kind of step-by-step, step. do one thing, do another. We do it really fast, so it feels like yeah. it's happening, you know, but it's still one thing at a time. Where quantum computing, because of this weird quantum state, uh, it 's basically doing all the steps at the same time is that a is that a correct analogy uh, that 's the
0: one I would buy which is instead of doing it linearly one after the other it does it in essence in parallel which, all at the same time or or a lot at the same time and therefore can shortcut um in terms of time, some of those problems. There are some problems quantum computing is really bad at, by the way. So it's not, yeah. a, it's not a panacea of it's going to solve all of our compute problems. But um, for certain, certain problem types, yeah, really, really quick.
2: The way that quantum works means that it can't solve all problems better than today's classic computers. But there are a certain set of problems that the quantum community, and by the way, the U.S. intelligence community, believe it will solve. And the main one is the breaking of modern-day asymmetric encryption schemes that are the engine of everyday internet commerce and the linchpin technology to protecting many government secrets worldwide. When we get there, the world is going to change. In George's paper, she and her co-author described that milestone as the creation of a cryptanalytically relevant quantum computer, or CRQC for short. Whew, that's a mouthful. I asked George to explain the significance of what a CRQC is. All
3: right. So we we currently have quantum computers in existence today. They are just not at the um, strength to go through and break our modern day encryption. That's what the um, the, the the CRQC represents. That the um, you know, quantum computer that is able to go through and, and, and break our encryption that has the robustness, the the qubits required. So it's. Uh, I don't want to say a supercomputer, because we have supercomputers. I guess you can call it like a super-duper computer.
2: <laughs> so the CRQC will be able to pretty much break any of the encryption schemes for the data we've uh, already encrypted. That's, the, that's what we're afraid of, right?
3: Right. So right now we have encryption that would take probably a, you know, a billion years for you to go through and, and decrypt it. But once we have quantum computers, it'll take eight hours. So much faster.
2: So the thing that uh, I was having a conversation with some CISOs about this just the other day, and uh, I'm not as worried about the future encryption schemes. I th- we're going to talk about what other people are doing and what you guys are recommending about how to protect ourselves against this. But it's all the data that's already been encrypted that may have been already hoovered up by you know adversaries in the world. You know, um, that is that if they stored it somewhere, if some bad guy stored a a giant treasure trove of data that's all encrypted. All you have to do is wait for this CRQC to come along, and they can go back and see all those secrets. Is that's what I think the big deal is? What do you think about that?
3: No, that that's absolutely correct. There's, you know, there's there's a lot of big deals breaking <laughs> the, um, you know, future encryption, <laughs> breaking the, you know, past encryption, um, you know, going through and uh, compromising our, our cryptocurrency. There's, you know, just just a ton of different impacts that quantum computing is going to bring to us, both good and bad.
0: The headline story and the one that's always sort of pointed at is breaking of encryption. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get a little bit specific. It's good at breaking asymmetric encryption. Um, so that's things like public key cryptography, a lot of the certificate structures that we rely on in, you know, to keep your browser secure, the HTTPS bit, and um, TLS is asymmetric. Uh, symmetric encryption, um, not so good at uh, cracking, so um, that's relatively safe.
2: Why is that? Because um, I, I would expect, it. you know, if it's it able to check all the combinations at the same time, why wouldn't it work for that also?
0: It's, yeah, yeah, um, math is probably the answer. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I don't propose to be a math professor, uh, pr- <laughs> professor, but um, one thing in in asymmetric encryption generally relies on is something called factorization, uh, which is finding the... Um, uh, finding the, the factor pair to generate a number. So computationally going one way, factorizing uh, or encrypting one way is computationally easy. Mm-hmm. Finding the root factors is computationally difficult in classic terms. Um, so that's how asymmetric relies on that. You, you get some really good benefits on that, which is speed is one of them. You know, It's really, really quick. Um, the downside in quantum land is um, quantum computers are really, really good at breaking factorization problems
2: everybody's racing. all the big countries are racing to solve quantum computing, right? Um, I'm not as worried about when they do because, you know, people will figure out how to write anti-quantum algorithms for encryption at some point. The point I'm worried about is this transition period. That's one thing to worry about where there's a whole, there's going to be a set of time where we don't have a solution for this. Okay, so that's one problem we have to worry about. And then the second problem is all the data that was stored in the old ways, okay, without benefit of anti-quantum algorithm—I don't know, however you want to say this—but any data that was stolen and stored for later uh, encryption breaking, I guess, uh, is going to be vulnerable to this. So those are the two problems I see. Did I say all that right? Yeah, so
0: there's a couple of things you sort of um, put in there. One is the capture now, break at leisure problem. Mm-hmm. So even if quantum compute isn't in a, a state that is readily and commercially available or powerful enough to break some of these encryption methods, um, now it will be in the future. So if you capture the traffic now, you know, in several years' time...
2: And we've and it, seen big... Uh, Big uh, attack campaigns where large swaths of data has been stolen, right? And so Uh, stolen, stored, intercepted. uh,
0: You know, (laughs) uh, it it will become. And and don't get me wrong. You know, some of that data is not going to be useful in the future. Right? You know, me me chatting to my wife on an encrypted channel about what I'm going to have for dinner is probably not going to be very interesting to people. (laughs) Uh, So people that are using. Crypto methods that become vulnerable or are vulnerable in the future um, to th- corporate secrets, um, nation state type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that that's going. That's the big worry, and mm-hmm. and that that kind of plays into a little bit on that horizon. Um, so we're probably looking at five to ten years before commercial availability. Um, a little sooner for governments that are going to obviously invest in this technology. Um, so you've you've got a few
2: years of. where. If you enjoyed this preview of CSO Perspectives, be sure to subscribe to CyberWire Pro and get access to the rest of this episode, as well as all past seasons of CSO Perspectives ad-free. And you all know I love getting rid of the ads. Visit thecyberwire.com slash CSO Pro. That's thecyberwire.com slash CSO Pro to explore the many benefits of CyberWire Pro and to subscribe